Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm excited to be on the line today with a fellow YPOR, um, and for the first time, someone who has a connection with the world of Russia here. So this is going to be a really interesting uh, conversation about all these amazing things uh, this gentleman has done here. So welcome to the podcast, Oleg Botenko. Hey, Marcus. How are you? <laughs> Great to have you on the, on the call here, buddy. And, uh, and I, we, as we've just went through a bit of this, um, I love your story, uh, and so will the listeners, of course, uh, of what you've built um, and, and where you are now. So, but let me sort of quickly just do the sort of frame the, uh, you know, what you've done uh, and people who are not familiar with you. Um, you are basically a tech, a true tech entrepreneur. Uh, you build a bunch of companies, uh, you know, it says six here, uh, worth over a billion dollars. Um, you came into the United States um, as a young man, um, and then, of course, on the back of it, built uh, some incredible business first, or, or started off a business in the U.S., and then uh, moved into Russia, spent there nearly 20 years before you, again, I guess, came back here. So let's capture all that um, in our conversation here over the next sort of, you know, 45, 50 minutes and uh, and get everyone excited over all the amazing things you do in technology, in esports, uh, and sort of everything in between. But before we jump, you know, into that area, let let's go back to the early days uh, and how you arrived in the U.S. Please start there. Uh, well, it was you know late '80s, early '90s. Um, Soviet Union was sort of falling apart. I was you know barely a teenager and. Uh, as a lot of people in that part of the world at the time, my mm-hmm. parents, who had some relatives in the U.S., decided to just pack up and move to California. Right. And, uh, you know, it's not like it is today when you can, if you, before you move somewhere, you can go check it out, right? They, were, they went somewhere where they knew nothing about. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was obviously more difficult for them than it is for me and uh, there was for me at the time, especially now seeing, you know, now that I'm older and I've also sort of <laughs> had the second, second immigration back into the United States, right. uh, years ago from Russia, I realized, and I, and I knew where, you know, where, where I was going to, and I had, everything was completely different. I realized what kind of a feat, you know, they accomplished coming here with no information. I mean, only, all the information they had was letters from our relatives and, uh, movies that we saw in the wow. 80s, right? That's amazing. Uh, and, and I'm assuming you didn't speak English or, or you did? Or, uh, well, look, we, I mean, they barely spoke in English. I, I had like school level English where I could, right. you know, say my name and introduce myself and, you know, how old I was maybe. That's about it. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, it, it, it's not like I could go to school. Yeah. And so, so you landed in L.A. or in California and then uh, yeah. obviously you went through the American schooling system, I believe, right? Yep. Yep. Went through all that. Um, yep. Yep. Seeing. And, and again, it was very different what we saw. In the, right. We had very different expectations <laughs> right. of what life would be. So there were a lot of uh, a lot of adjustments along the way that we had to make. And so you were saying earlier that, you know, you had all your buddies starting already something in, in tech or, or were involved in some space, but you can, couldn't quite figure out your own area in it. So uh, you started obviously something specific where you were going into outsourcing of engineers in Russia. So tell, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, it was late 90s, right? Early, um, like, dot coms were popping up everywhere. So yes. a lot of people, 
a lot of people around me, um, and, you know, I was in school in, in Northern California. So a lot of people around me were starting to sell snowboards, skateboards, pens, whatever it is online, trying to build things. I couldn't really come up with a specific product myself. Uh, yeah. but I seeing that there was a need for engineers all across the board, right? Yeah. There was, there was a lot of help needed, so right. to speak. And, and I had, um, you know, I still kept in touch, uh, with, with, with some of my, you know, friends that I had went to school with or, you know, been friends with before moving and mm. they all went to tech schools. They all were engineers. So I sort of started connecting with them when I realized there's a lot of, you know, high level, highly skilled, uh, engineering potential all across Russia. Yeah. So I started to try to tap into that potential in terms of, you know, trying to pair, you know, pair, uh, the, the talent, the engineering, programming talent in, in, in Russia, in former Soviet Union, with the demand for that in the uh, United States. Mm. So what were some of your customers? I mean, who, you, who were you working with? We, we did, we, we worked with, you know, we were pitching everybody. Some of the customers we worked with, the biggest one were IBM, Hewlett Packard. There were some image recognition um, software that we're developing for Hewlett Packard, um, some, some, some work in the printing space. So yeah, some of the bigger names, a lot of the startups that I wouldn't even remember anymore right. <laughs> when okay. came, and went, but, they came and went. Uh, there was a, there was a, there was a, I mean, there were bigger, bigger companies like excited home and web band that were disappearing. So there are a lot of little ones that were disappearing as well that I wouldn't even remember now, but yeah, right. there were quite a few. So obviously that was working well, but somehow something then brought you back to Russia. Well, I mean, you're originally from Kazakhstan, but uh, you know, you, you went actually back to Russia in this case. Yeah, I went. I, I never lived in Russia. I never lived in Moscow. But I, I had, I had a business partner that was, you know, helping me with with, with engineering talent, scaling the business. And he said, "Look, there's a lot, there's a lot more opportunities um, here. Not you know, not just in Russia, but specifically in Europe." Right. There's a lot of Air, Airbus, your uh, EADS, European Aeronautic Defense and Space Company, and uh, maybe we could do some stuff there. So let's just come here and check it out. So you know, I was you know barely in my early 20s, um, you know, but I packed up and yeah. I went or whatever. I just yeah, thought whatever, whatever it takes. Yeah. And you know, I I, I had a, an advantage. I spoke the language, and I never really lost touch with the culture. I read right. a lot of books. Right. Watched movies, you know. This this is mostly my parents, I guess, pushing me to it. I never thought I would need it, but you know, yeah. who knew. Um, so so yeah. So I went uh, I went there for a short stint. I lived out of the back for the first few months. I just didn't even unpack my things. You know, ended up staying almost twenty years. Had a family, three kids. <laughs> right. Quite. So let, let's dig a bit into the twenty years before we back here at uh, beautiful Lake Tahoe. Um, <clears throat> so. In, in those 20 years, obviously, you started a, a series of businesses from, uh, you know, music, streaming, uh, TV, uh, you know, OTT, payment platforms, you know, I guess in that those days it's not even real music. It was ringtones and other stuff. So, you know, talk us through a bit uh, how that all um, started and then how that ended up, I guess, becoming mega laps. Like with everything else, it's always, you know, it's always chance, right? You're doing things, you're planning things, but then it's it's never, it's never what what we set out to do. But I think for me, the first, the first real, um, jump into, into building a consumer facing product was, um, uh, a company called CMT center for media technologies, which basically 
the idea there was, and this was, I think, 2004, you know, going into 2005, mm -hmm. um, video was just starting to, to pop up on the internet. Right. And, uh, and you know, we, we, we had an, um, a, a client for our programming business that basically needed some help in digitizing and converting all of their, um, all of their, you know, video libraries. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we were exploring that, I realized, well, why don't we just not just digitize it? Why don't we make it available? Like, right. why don't we let people be able to view it online? You know, and, and nobody was thinking anything. So we started doing that. And then I, you know, I, I thought about creating a business where I would just go and, and strike deals to, you know, to be the sole representative of that content on the Internet. So this was so, way, way before Netflix. You already basically had the same idea. Yes, but we weren't thinking movies only. Like okay. we were thinking older movies. Like we were digitizing older movies, like older Soviet, Soviet, you know, fun movies. But but we decided to focus on news. All right. um, so we we struck a deal with a bunch of news stations all across the country, okay. where they, where we would basically own the rights, and you have the ability to instead of reading the news, you could watch the news, right, all Got in it. one place. Right. Uh, okay. Themes and. And this was sort of the first, uh, first successful venture um, that was then later acquired by you know very uh, very successful uh, and, and 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 you know prominent Russian uh, financial group. Okay. We called it Newstube. It still exists today. The project's called Newstube. I think it's you know it's 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 part of Megaphone now, Megaphone right. Group. But and, but 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 that was sort of that first first venture where we, you know, where we were facing, taking technology and making it consumer friendly on the web, you know, that. and then YouTube, I think the YouTube sale, $1 billion YouTube, Google transaction, I think that happened in 2006. So then put sort of video on the map for a lot of people. Right. And, um, and, um, you know, that was, um, you know, that was quite an interesting, quite an interesting, uh, approach. So after that, I started thinking, well, what other platforms are there where we can deliver, um, you know, all kinds of products to the end user. Yeah. And as you remember, mobile was really taken off at the time. People, right. you know, you know, the, the cell phones were becoming cheaper. The per minute rates were going from, you know, $10 a minute to <laughs> cents per minute. Yes. Uh, you know, SMS was really becoming a thing. So, yes. uh, and, 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 and Russia was an interesting place cause it was, I would say 95% prepaid. Yes. Right. So the credit card penetration. Absolutely. So in, cell phone really had to have money on their account. So if you, if you can get to that person, you can get to that person's wallet. Yes. So we were, we started to coming up with ideas, how to create different products, you know, and the best way to get, we felt the best way to get was through the carriers, right? So we would partner with different mobile carriers and create all kinds of things. Some worked, others didn't, hmm. you know, there were, you know, there were game, you know, like game show types, contestant types, lottery types, you know, you know, programs and, 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 and products that we launched, uh, first mobile TV, obviously ringtone, ringback tone. I remember nobody believing in that at the time. Like why would anyone play a, a, a ringtone, right. you know, much less the ringback tone because you needed the carrier to, mm. um, to, to, to help with that. And, um, you know, it, it, it became, it was growing really fast. 
you know, because as, as more and more mobile consumers were coming into the space, more and more consumption that was outside of voice and text was yeah, taking place. And, and, and here's interesting. I mean, and I had some conversations with guys, um, a couple of my last podcasts were also people in the music industry who then ended up in ringtones and all this stuff. And, and you know, and in, in, in the Western world, you know, and you were in Russia at that time, it, it became crazy, very, very large. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars were generated there. Um, how much were you watching what was happening, you know, being having studied in the U.S.? I'm assuming you were kind of watching what's happening in the Western world, so to speak, and then figuring out how to do it in Russia. Is that Would that be an, an accurate description, or um, or how did it all happen? No, to me, actually, China was uh, was the model. All right, okay. Uh, I, I, for example, ringback tones took off even bigger than ringtones, right? Ringback tone was something yes. where you follow somebody can hear the music. And Correct. in 2011, ringback tone was an $8 billion a year industry. Wow, okay. Uh, I would say 40% of it was in Asia. Right. Only right. 10% was the U.S. The rest really? was everywhere. Okay, well, yeah. Well, I've lived here for 20 years, so I, I thought it was a big thing everywhere, but <laughs> you're right, and maybe it was now, more here. Asia, I mean, because, look, it really grows with the customer base. So when you talk about China Mobile, right, that has, at that point, I remember visiting them, I think, in 2012, uh, when they had 650 million users. Yes. So the Ringback Tone was generating $3 billion, I think, a month or a quarter for that. I mean, it was a massive business, yeah, yeah. right? Because because you're paying a dollar a month for a service, plus you're paying a dollar for every song or, or $3, depending on who owns the music, right? right? right. So to me... Uh, I looked to the West for content, right? Because that's where the hits are coming from. Yeah. But I looked to the East <laughs> for, for, for comparable business models. And in fact, most of the, most of the, you know, the, the, the better equipment in Europe, only Ericsson uh -huh. made the, made, made the right hardware for this, right. where China had, uh, yeah. uh, Huawei, massive, yeah. Uh, yeah, Huawei ZT, there are different guys uh, making that yeah. at the time. That's right. That's right. All right. Okay, I love that. That's so cool. So you're in basically because well, Russia is obviously nicely in the middle there, you know, connected with China. So you're sitting yep. in the middle and you're looking at both left and right um, to yep. learn and then bring the things into Russia, which obviously has yep. a you know large uh, you know audience as well. What was the penetration of mobile phones at that time? And and uh, you know, everyone had already phones, or what, what, how was that growing during your period? It was growing. It was growing at some at some you know like Great. just. Yeah. You know, crazy, crazy, filthy, disgusting, money-wise rates. Yes. I, and, and, and just so you know, at one point, it was like people, there was like 2.1 SIM cards per person. Right, okay. Because okay. people were looking for better rates. Yeah. So people, yeah. you know, a lot of people had a couple phones, one for your work, one for your business. Yes. Right, so it was yes. kind of a thing to have and everybody wanted to stand out how their phone, what kind of noise your phone made, right? What kind of ring <laughs> you had. So uh, everybody wanted personalization, man. It's not any different from the gen. They're saying now Gen Zs are crazy about personalization. Look, people were, you know, I mean, cell phones were the first to sort of start that whole personalization. Wow. Um, I mean, if you remember, there are a lot of uh, like websites, uh, like a d dating websites, things like this, where the more SMS you sent, the higher up on the list you are. And people were spending hundreds, thousands of dollars a month just, yes. you know, yes. on, on, on sending text to be in the top of, 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 of an app 
you know, I mean, not even an app, it was a website. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, the, the only way to transact was to use your cell phone because that's where the money was. Nobody yeah. had credit cards. So the credit card, card penetration was extremely low. So, you know, if you could get to somebody's phone, you can get, like I said, to their wallet and you can offer all kinds of services. And even offering the services, the phone was the best tool because I don't know if you remember, you had the USSD commands. Yes. Uh, you know, there are all these different channels where your phone would light up. You know, and it's called broad, cell broadcast. Yes. And that was a technology. USSD was a technology. So anytime you get a text from somebody, there's a little attachment tail to it that says, oh, buy this or buy that. So Very good. Everything, and the text business, the SMS business was huge too, right? I mean, it was, it was some massive money there as well, right? Absolutely. And it's funny that SMS never really picked up in the U.S. I remember coming here to visit and nobody used text until BlackBerry showed up, right? So BlackBerry that became the crackberry that people would just, you know, yeah. but – in Europe, text was big, but it was a very absolutely. Easy, but it was a very easy explanation for it. It was cheaper because right. to call someone, it was just very expensive. But to send a text was incredibly cheap. Correct. So people yeah, that, that was the same in Asia too. I mean, I, I could never figure out why the Americans. And now it's the other way around. I still have American, you know, guys, uh, uh, friends who texting me. I'm like, you yeah. don't have WhatsApp? What yeah. is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But let's get back to, uh, you know, the story here a bit on, uh, you know, and that's, you know, everything you just said, Larry, sums it up what you were then doing, of course, you know, um, some of those companies you were, you built, they were acquired, um, and I believe turned into what, what is called Mega Labs, um, was acquired by the second largest telco in uh, Megaphone in, in Russia. Um, and they made you the CEO, and then you built this billion-dollar business there. So before we jump into all the fun stuff, what you did after, but I, you know, talk us through that. I mean, that's obviously an incredible journey from being an entrepreneur now to, of course, working in a large Russian telco um, and building this amazing business. So share a bit about that. Um, well, look, I think um, for Megaphone had a very sound, structured ownership group and leadership group that realized, look, I think they were one of the first to realize, okay, look, so, you know, this isn't the core business for us. So we're letting everybody else around us make money. Mm -hmm. And obviously, yes, the bulk of the money still comes from selling data. Uh, you know, it was just starting at the time, but, but voice, SMS, right? Yeah. That was generating bulk of the income. Yes. This was, yes. you know, it was a smaller, we call it value-added services at the time. It was a smaller piece of the pie, but why not try to harness this, right? Why not, why not try to, 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 not be a pipe, a dumb pipe, as, yes, as a lot yes, of us calling it at the time. Yep. But um, but um, but you know, but but a value added pipe. So they decided to you know build a digital first business where you know text and voice would stay in in the main business, but everything around that would be its own entity. And that was the idea for, you know, for, for, for creation of Mega Labs. And I was actually one of the people leading that, the, the, the charge on that right. with, with Megaphone and Megaphone's ownership group that was trying to think ahead, you know, and look ahead and uh, plan ahead. And it was, it was interesting, you're absolutely right, to go from, you know, building businesses, small businesses that scale really quickly in terms of usage to a company with 30,000 people. That's really utility at the end of the day. Yeah, right? that is. Absolutely. They, and in they, Russia, they, which probably is a little different than the utility in the U.S. or in the Western world, <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different world. Yeah, because Russia is big. I mean, just to give you an idea, what they call east of the Ural Mountains here in the United States, uh -huh. it's twice the size of the United States. Yeah, of course. So 42% of 
of of Russian territory, which is the Far East, has yeah. four million people. But we still have to service them, right? We still have to build cell towers. We still have to build infrastructure. So it's a different different animal. And Absolutely. and I had offices in eight different regions of Russia, from as uh, you know as west as as, as Kaliningrad and as yeah. far east as Vladivostok. So I would fly fly eight and a half hours and still be in the same country without yeah. customs and passport control. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so yeah, the idea, you know, it's just to basically to to try to to try to you know to 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 generate revenues in um, you know in verticals that are new to to the telco. Right. So in this end, I mean, but again, it, it, I believe it, it, you started with, you know, a small group of guys and it, it, in, in the end you had hundreds of people working there and, and revenue yeah. into the billions. So, um, you know, just just give a little bit of that growth story, you know, how did that, is it just because the industry by itself was growing so fast and you were just riding yep. it along or, or what was the trick here? Well, A, I was able to leverage the massive success Megaphone was having growing its customer base, right? right. So that's... It's, you know, that, that, that basically was, you know, that's what could jumpstart. If you provide the right product, you, we had the customer base to work with. We had the funnel, right, mm -hmm. to which to get into our services. So, um, and obviously having, you know, having megaphone ownership and then and, and leadership being so, you know, bullish on this vertical at the time, I sort of, I could sort of cherry pick some of the better people to lead, especially regionally. Right, especially in the in the regional centers throughout Russia, to to because what's 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 different in that region again coming back to the specifics of the countries that for example in the U.S. if there is a certain you know if there's a certain plan you know a, a, a cell plan right for what you're paying per minute it's all the same throughout the country in Russia it was very different right. what you were paying right. and what kind of services you were using so uh, you needed to have people on the ground really. To, um, to sort of especially to, to, to launch some of these things. So every region had its own everything, own technical infrastructure, own billing. It was quite complicated from a, from, from a tech perspective. And, how uh, many years did you spend in it? Uh, how many years were you then uh, part of it? Uh, three years, three years. So my goal was to get it off the ground, right? right. To get it, build it, to scale it. And I, I just think, you know, I became, you know, member of the board of directors of, of the operating director. So I became part of all these committees mm. and I felt like I was spending more time approving things rather than creating things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no, exactly. And that's, I think, what, what you do as an entrepreneur, right? You do feel yeah. maybe a little uh, in the wrong yeah. place. So is that how you ended up, you know, leaving and then you started United Media Agency? Is that was that the next step? Or? Absolutely. But, you know, while, while still being at, at you know, with, with, with Megalabs, there are a lot of things that I saw wanted to to jump into, but because of the corporate nature of the business, yeah. it was not very easy to do because you, it was a public company. I mean, in the process, Megaphone went public. I was part of the whole roadshow as well. So there's a lot of things that were interesting learning experiences, but, you know, they were sort of taken away from the focus mm. of what we're trying to do. So it became a public company. Uh, you know, Megalabs being a big part of it. So there's a lot of attention as to what you were going to do. So there are a lot of approval ladders and, 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 and procedures that were put in place. So I realized that I'm wasting a lot of time trying to get the approvals in place, um, you know, trying to get the, the backing for it. And I just thought, look, if I just go out and, you know, find, find the right financial backers for some of these things and just do them on my own, would be a lot more exciting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, so basically, yeah, I went back 
um, outside of the corporate world again. You know, I still had a lot of the same, you know, partners and I could still bring some of the people that I had, you know, worked with and depended on heavily along the way. Uh, but instead of, you know, instead of, again, you know, doing it inside of a big company, we had the freedom to create on our, uh, on our own. And, uh, you know, that's, and, and that's where really music streaming and, uh, and, and gaming and esports were also taken off at the time. It was, you know, beginning of the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. And in fact, we tried music streaming in Megaphone even before Spotify did it. Mm. But it was harder for us because we didn't have the technology. So I remember we licensed an Israeli company to be able to stream to regular feature phones, the old Nokia's, Motorola's. It was very burdensome. The signal would, you know, we would lose the signal, but we still managed to get uh, (laughs) 100,000 people that were paying 10 bucks a month to stream music. They couldn't stream it half the time because the network wasn't strong enough. But but we, we we had it. It was streaming music. We had full catalogs because of our relationships through the ringtone and ring ringback tone business. So, yeah. um, you know, so I, I believed in that business. So you know that was one of the one of the reasons for creation of uh, UMA as well. UMA. And now was UMA a U.S. company or a Russian company or from the name I couldn't it, tell. <laughs> it's a Russian company. United Media Agency was a Russian company. But okay. look, the, the idea with UMA was very simple. So. Um, one of the, you know, for, in the megaphone ownership group, one of their, uh, one of one of the assets that's, you know, that they had in their portfolio was VK.com. I don't know, if you're familiar with it, but it's basically the Facebook of Russia, right? right? And it was extremely popular at the time, uh, but it was known for for being a notorious pirate of content. Okay, right, and they had books, they had films, but the biggest one obviously was music. And the previous leadership team didn't believe in IP ownership or IP protection. Okay. <laughs> so so people could just upload any music they could and and and, and basically share it with one another without doing it sounds like Napster in the US. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So it was it was a great social network, but with music sharing really right. at the back of it. Okay. And and there was a lot, there was nothing that the leadership wanted to do. So when the new ownership group that I was dealing with took over their first, you know, again, just the way they, they viewed Megaphone here, their vision was very straightforward where they basically said, look, we, this, this needs to be different. This needs to, this needs to be in line with where the world is going. Mm. Right. And uh, so I came in with an idea. I said, look, you should, this, this should be a business. Right. And uh, but 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 it, but it was like a deaf in terms of the music industry and VK. It was like a deaf talking to the blind, mm. just two mm. two 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 different worlds that didn't understand each other. You know, one part here you have engineers who truly believe that everything should be free and it's their service that's making music popular, right. and obviously right. the music world that was you know getting hundreds of millions of dollars of spot from Spotify from Apple at the time, mm. and feeling like well here you have a hundred million people or fifty million at the time that are hit and play every day and we're not getting anything out of it, right? So it was a mess. And when I came into the picture, basically trying to build a business around it, uh, there were lawsuits in three or four different jurisdictions. VK, the app was thrown out of the app store. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was war with Apple, war with music companies, right? It was a different situation. So where UMA was basically born, we said, look, let's build a, let's build a company that will 
build a music service, a licensed music service to bring, you know, to bring this as a product to the VK audience. So again, again, it was sort of a platform play as before, right? You have the audiences, you have the funnel. Now the key is to bring it all in compliance, right? With, with everything, with, with, you know, with getting the music rights, with paying for everything, with building the payment mechanism. Cause it was, it was just a repository of, of, of tracks, right? Of, of wave files. That's Absolutely. all it was. Now, in the, beginning. the platform's called Mail, you know, RU, RU is obviously for Russia, but uh, what, what the, the mail part, is it mailing in the music or what, what or does it mean something else in Russian or what's the mail? Uh, so mail.ru is a holding company. It's a public company. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's listed on the London uh, Stock Exchange. Right. Um, it's a few billion dollar cap, um, you know, valuation. Um, like I said, it's public and, um, it, 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 it owns various services in the internet and consumer space in Russia. So right. like it right. owns VK.com, like I said, the internet, like a Facebook, which is about a hundred, hundred million, uh, monthly users right. owns right. classic, which is like classmates.com of Russia, but very popular with okay. a certain demographic. Uh, it owns mygames.com, which is the biggest game publisher in Eastern Europe. Okay. Uh, and this is all public information. So this is all, uh, this is all, uh, available online. So they, they, they make their own games. They publish their own games. Right. Okay. Uh, they also own like, you know, a, a, a ride sharing service in Russia, food delivery service, obviously mail service, but they started as a pure mail service. That's why it was called mail. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, half of it, I wasn't familiar with them. Interesting. So they basically of, are, are accumulation of a bunch of businesses in the U S uh, brought together. Sounds like not, Uber, not Uber meets uh, Facebook and everyone in between. Yes, but they're not in the U.S. They're in Russia. They're yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, that's what I mean. The, 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 but, the equivalent in Russia, exactly. But Marcus, you should know that one of the key founders for Mail.ru is Yuri Milner. So okay. he's he was one of the original founders of, of the business. So he, with him at the helm, Mail became, and 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 with the with the investment from USM Group, and you know, and then their support, they were able to build mail into what it is today got it and so did you so you so your agency was it sold to them is that uh, because you mentioned recently you sold it right absolutely yes you yeah. was acquired uh well because i thought this was going to be a three or six month uh project it ended up being uh just getting all the licenses and getting you know getting all the litigation and everything out of the way took about three years right but uh, once the service launched, it is now the biggest service, music service in Russia, by both revenue and uh, and user user base. Uh, any which way you look at it, there's a lot of other businesses around, like a digital audio agency, um, you know, selling audio ads, uh, ticketing, merchandising. There's, it's it's a, it's a, it's an ecosystem on its own, really. Now, so we were able to build a massive uh, vehicle, but you know. With with the VK audience being at the backbone of this, it was just logical for male to, to eventually take control of, of this. Yeah. I, I love this, and I, and again, it reminds me so much of what I see here in Asia that you know there's uh, 
sometimes the uh, the platforms actually are ahead of what you see in the US um, you know they bring the different parts together right I mean you know WeChat and, and all these places I mean that's not even it's not WhatsApp right I mean it's WhatsApp yeah. on steroids right with all oh, yeah. the elements to it Oh, yeah. um, and so I think here is you can see that a bit as well, you know, learning what you're just saying here is that, you know, that's what MailRU did, right? They brought a bunch of things together and just, you know, there was no one else there and just took took ownership of that space, right? But what's unique about Russia is, um, like, for example, none of the big original, you know, Silicon Valley internet companies never really beat the local players. Exactly. And unlike China, where you had the great Chinese wall, right? <laughs> Uh, that that you couldn't do business in Russia, they all could do business. So, like okay. Google, for example, is is it is not the market leader. It's Yandex. It's a local right. player, right? right. Uber right. also is not the market leader. It's it's uh, it was Yandex Taxi that then merged with Uber, hmm. uh, a joint company, right? And with same thing with what with what Mail was doing with VK.com and Adnaklasniki and hmm. you know and My Games is that it's the local players. Because Russia is just a different market, and you yes. need to have a certain different, uh, you know, you're offering different in order to be to, to cater. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to teach people for 25 years here, that Asia is a different market too. So you can't come always roll in here with your little Western ideas. But, um, you know, it's, it's nice to see that this is uh, similar in other parts of the world. <laughs> um, now, with all this gr amazing stuff you obviously did there in Russia, um, and, and clearly it's easy to see how you now pivoted into, that's what I would call it, into the world of esports. And, you know, a few years ago started a series of interesting ventures um, because, I, you know, I'm assuming you saw that's the next big thing. So how did you go from the music world and, and everything else you were building there in Russia? You know, what was your first esports uh, gig uh, and how did you get in there? Were you a gamer yourself or, you know, it was just obvious this is the next space to be? Complete chance, you know, as, 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 as you know, as, uh, I was always looking for interesting, you know, founders and interesting project. I came across um, Anton Cherepenikov was a, a founder of a Russian IT company because I was sort of thinking, look, there's since we're, we're, we're doing so much for Mega Labs around creating products, I felt like to sort of having your own you know, building your own IT hub where, you know, because there's so many different companies that are trying to create all kinds of IT products, just IT services hmm. to the group as a whole. I felt like, well, that, that should also be somehow maybe, um, um, may, maybe that, you know, that, that you should have someone that sees it from the big picture rather than one certain project at the time. And we didn't really have the, you know, the capacity for it at Mega Labs, but I was looking for somebody that could still sort of take on that. And I met Anton, who was this, uh, extremely, energetic, uh, <laughs> very smart and tech savvy person who was just happened to be a gamer. And it was, we were exploring various it, uh, endeavors that we could take on together. He said, Hey, by the way, I own this company called Virtus Pro and I'm a awesome Dota two and counter-strike player myself. And he would <laughs> always come go watch my team play. And I said, what do you mean your team play? And he said, well, we sit around computers and play Counter-Strike. So I drew a picture of that in my head. And this was 2014, okay? Right, okay? So I drew a picture of that in my head and I said, no, no, like, no thank you. And then I think a couple <laughs> months later, we ended up actually in Frankfurt together on, a, on, on, I forget, whatever it was, but it wasn't gaming related. And he said, oh, by the way, Virtus Pro is playing 
uh, in a semifinal here in Dota 2, would you want to go see it? And it was like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. I said, sure, this is weird, but let's go see it. So imagine me walking into this, you know, the main arena in Frankfurt, 15,000 people, completely packed. Yep, screaming. On a Tuesday, all these kids screaming and half the stadium going, Virtus Pro, Virtus Pro. I said, is this how this is? And he said, yes, this is esports. This is what I was telling you about. And I, I... Blew my mind. So I said, no, we need to. He's like, look, this is my hobby. I enjoy it. I own this team. I spend a couple million dollars a year for their travel, you know, and they compete. Um, but like I said, look, this this needs to be big. So we went together. We raised mm. tens of millions of dollars. I think we had a commitment of 100 million raised over 60 all, all together at the end. Um, and I basically changed my life, you know. Sort of see, having him show that to me, I, I said, wow, this is sort of what I've, I've been looking for my whole life, right? Because I've made some endeavors into, into gaming and I, mm. every time I, it wasn't very successful. So I we would spend a lot of money, a lot of time on a game and then it would come out and it would just not be anything good. It would just suck. Right. And I, so that's, I was like, <laughs> I love gaming. It's, it, this is one thing we weren't, we couldn't be as good as we were with music and everything else is gaming, right? Like we had the, we had the, uh, the, the, the audience, but we couldn't deliver. It was, it wasn't easy. It's a hit driven, market right and and actually russia was one of the first to launch free to play again because people just weren't paying you couldn't pay for it yes not that many people could pay 60 bucks for call of duty right so you would would go to a local market and for a dollar buy a cd with a hundred games you know all pirated absolutely yeah it was hard to build a business around it so so for me and here i saw something that brought all that to to a a sort of a a clear clear for me so 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 we started that was East for East Force, or, yeah, okay, absolutely. So, uh, and we had another founder, uh, Zero Gravity, Alexander Kalinowski, who owned Navi at the time. And Navi was awesome because Navi was the first team ever to win the TI, the Dota 2 International. Right. Okay. So they were the first team to win, and then they were runners up in, two, in, in 2012 and 2013. But they were massive, right. and so it was quite a good group. And but but we had a very clear focus. We were going to focus on Eastern Europe. Right. So we had offices in, in, in Cologne. We had offices in, in, in Warsaw because uh, one of them was made up completely of Polish players. And we had offices in Ukraine and Moscow, obviously. That's cool. But it was fun. So at the end of the day, I mean, it was 14 different companies, 14 startups. Right. Wow. We did we three teams. Uh, we owned um, we built an arena in Moscow. We built a production company that put on amazing events. We did the first ever Hollywood premiere wow. over in East. Event Warcraft, the movie with, with mm-hmm. legend pictures, and uh, I mean, it was, there's a lot of firsts around that, and That's it was amazing. learning. Like, it was well, amazing. Experience. Cologne is my hometown. What was the name of the company you had there? Uh, ES Force. It oh, was that, okay, East- it was uh, was East Force itself, right? Okay, so just had an, we just had an ES office. We just had an office. You had an there. office there, right? Okay, cool. Did you do any work? Well, I'm sure you, you must have come across the well, guys from ESL many times, right? Of course, they tried to buy one of our assets at the time, and okay. uh, I know ESL, MTG guys really well. Uh, yeah. Bitcraft, a lot of them are now Bitcraft, but uh, but we owned a German team, SK Gaming. So okay, okay, yeah, that, you know, because, um, yeah, that's right. They're they're out of Cologne. That's that's what I was thinking. There was some connection there with SK, right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Now, now again, this this business was sold, is sold, right? Correct. Sure. Yes. yes. It was sold as well. Yep, it was sold as well. Who who bought it? If is that public? Uh, it was it was a, it was a it was a conglomerate that was led by Mail.ru as well because they owned 
a bunch of games. So basically for us, the key was that we wanted to, if anyone wanted to start an esports business in Russia or, or, or that part of the world, we wanted to make sure we were, we had the biggest player in the space. So that's why we dug into everything. So when Nail said that they want to be in that space, there was really nothing else that they could get. <laughs> love it, love it. So, so now that is, uh, again, then leads us where you are now, I guess, right? Uh, after uh, digging through your amazing past there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, now we at uh, why why esports? I'm still trying to figure out how to pronounce yes. it properly. Why yes. esports here? Uh, which we yes. started a few years back in 2017. Yes. yes. Um, and again, there is a new vision to it. So talk us through this uh, the the big picture of what why is all about. Um, the the reason for starting by was very simple. So we had you know massive esports business with ESports. We would we owned three teams that had you know millions of, of eyeballs on, yes. on all the social media. I mean, we had players that would just when they would get on Twitch to practice in the morning, they'd get one one and a half million concurrent viewers watching them. Yes. That's how massive they were. And then we would put on events, you know, majors for Counter Strike or Dota two that would have you know. 20,000 people in the venue and then, you know, tens, hundreds of million uh, millions of views across That's the globe, it. right? Especially when it was like the best Chinese Dota team playing against the best Russian or the best American Dota team. Uh, you know, actually our, our fellow YPOers, you know, Steve Arnstead with Team Liquid, I remember Team Liquid beating our team in our tournament and, and you know, me having to give away the check to Team Liquid. <laughs> I didn't expect that. I thought we were going to win. Yeah, uh, but anyway, so but the but the monetization was extremely challenging, right? Uh, the brands weren't so if you were, if you were to do the same in basketball or football or hockey, right? It was a very clear model, like and and and, and the cash flow was very uh, you know predictable. With with esports, it was not. So I realized it wasn't just a challenge for us; it was a challenge for the entire space. So Vi was created basically with a single vision of. Okay, let's go test different things, different models, whatever it is we need to do. But how do we get the big brands and the big media companies to spend significant dollars on on this space? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, obviously, you brought in some serious uh, big names in, in in terms of investors, there, right? I mean, you have Rain yeah. Group in there, Quartzsite. I mean, and you know, several of them have you know Elysian Park. I mean, they're all in the in the traditional world of sports as well, right? Uh, you know, owning yeah. uh, team and, and basketball teams in the, the LA Dodgers, yep. etc. Um, you know, how do these guys come about? I mean, it was a again, do you target them because you felt there was particular synergy with what they're doing, or you know, you just had had a name and, and people you know showed up at your doorstep? Uh, no, I wish it were like that. I don't think it's like that. <laughs> I know it wasn't, but whenever that's what I'm I asking. Hear, <laughs> yeah, whenever I hear these stories, they're like, you know, yeah, I was really at this place in my life where I didn't know what to do and this person came out. They all showed up, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, I wish it was the case. No, but um, look, I was, with ES Force, we're already exploring, you know, we were exploring different partnerships and different, uh, you know, different models that we wanted to launch globally and, you know, teams that we wanted to acquire along the way. And, uh, so you, when you do that, you know, when you're out there, you come across amazing people, right? So mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough to come across, uh, you know, you know, come across these investors, right? Mm -hmm. So they were all exploring esports, they're all thinking esports, they know what I was doing with the esports, they know what I was looking at. So when I basically started thinking of, of putting together this concept around buy, uh, I just reached, out and I said, look, I'm going to do this thing. You guys are welcome to join. I don't really have 
a, a business plan hmm. or an idea, but you know, this is what I'm going to do. And they all said, look, this is, this is interesting. So it wasn't like I was able to show a big vision. I just sort of showed a direction, right? Hmm. Like this is to go and it's going to be challenging in the space. And I knew I didn't want to build another esports team, right? I didn't want to build another game. Like a lot of people at the time were investing in esports teams. And, uh, I was, you know, having owned three at the time and knowing the challenges, you know, how hard it was. Yes. It's yeah, it's, it's, uh, it sounds amazing. Like, you know, everybody says we are the, the, the New York Yankees of esports, but yeah. you're, you're not. And <laughs> you're not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, yeah. and you obviously anyone who's in the industry knows this, you know, the, the teams are, there are very few teams who make any money. Um, and the, and the ones who are even, you know, it's a, it's a hard, it's a lot of hard work uh, to get there yeah. for sure. It's not a flywheel. Yes, it's not, absolutely. it's not a revenue making machine, right? It's still a long ways away. Maybe some of these teams, who knows, they'll be, they'll become the New York Yankees of esports, but yeah. not in the years. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's not, because the revenue model isn't clear, right? It's in, as you said, in the, in a real world of sports and it's clear, there's TV revenue, yeah. there's large sponsorship yeah. deals, there's all that money, yeah. you know, which has been developed over 50 years, right? This isn't, yeah. didn't happen overnight. And, and as, well, as yeah. go ahead. People forget that, you know, New York Giants, you know, I mean, the San Francisco Giants, you know, <laughs> they were not always the San Francisco Giants and the LA Dodgers were the Brooklyn Dodgers. Like there's a history behind it. Oh, there's absolutely. behind every team. Right. And then there's there's pain and suffering and ups and downs. And Absolutely. right. And, and, and people just seem to think like they're going to have a, you know, a five year horizon on an esports team that just, you know, it's, if you're going to compare everything else, start there. You know, exactly. I mean, traditional sports have been doing this for 100 years, you know, literally. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. and even on a professional level, it's 30, 40 years. You know, I've had guys on the interview. They've been doing it for 40, 50 years. So there have been guys on this. But right? now. E-gaming has maybe been around, you know, 30, 40 years with, you know, Atari and ever. But e-sports is really, you know, what is it? Five-year, 10-year industry? I mean, you know, 10 years. Yeah, yeah it's probably, it's right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it went so, from, so it's, I mean, a, it's still a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really hard. I mean, look, the only ones that have really figured out is Twitch, right? Without without really any, any publisher, game publisher dependence. Right. The rest, it's a publisher driven world correct at the end correct. of the day the game is going to make all the money all the revenues are going to end up there That's and all the costs are going to end up you know on the <laughs> on the on the on the competition side <laughs> right, right yeah because i mean esports always, everyone talks about it's a billion dollar industry right which is a billion is a lot of money of course um but yeah. if you compare that to you know that's uh you know that wouldn't you know that wouldn't even cover the payroll of probably two Premier League football teams. You know, <laughs> and so you know, in the larger scheme of things, it is not a whole lot. Yes, the industry, the whole industry is what 150 billion is the number. You know, people always throw out, and like you said, that goes all to the publishers and and to the developers, right? So with with way sports, obviously, oh, sorry, way sports, way uh, esports. You obviously knew all that, um, and therefore you're going, we're not going there. We're going after um, more of the content side, right? We want to be on the side where the money is being made, right? And, and I guess that's what... events, right? So, right. But, but again, when we say content, we say events, we say publisher agnostic, right? right? I want to stay away from the competition because it's a race to the bottom. Either right. you're going to do it on your own for a publisher Right. Mm -hmm. And then they could just say, oh, you know what, we're not going to pay you as much anymore. We'll pay you less. Right. So because they own everything or even if you're doing it on, you know, you're, you're doing it on your own, then you have the risk of 
publisher taking over and saying thank you, but no thank you, right? So, uh, so the key for us, I think, I think gaming is bigger than pure esports, right? Because when you're saying esports, you're saying you know very competitive titles like hardcore fans. But I think in terms of the gaming as a culture, for us, my core audience, the people I want to sort of you know partner with as as my viewers, is someone that 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 I want to offer. Hmm. Uh, my who are casual gamers, right? Somebody who yes. play a little Fortnite, watch a little Twitch, go play a little FIFA, but maybe even you know go play basketball, yeah. right? Or or, or 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 listen to music. And if you look at gaming, right? Everyone, the the, the the younger you get, the more gamers you get. Whether you're a professional football player or a rocker, rock star, right? right? right. Gaming is what, what what's the common thread for everybody. Right. So right. yes, so for us, the idea is. To create new products that are, you know, that are not competition-driven, or even if there is competition, it's for entertainment purposes. Right. So we right. want to sit in between those, you know, the the the, the ESLs of the world, the Tespas of the world, the Playverses of the world. We want to, and and the Paxes of the world, the TwitchCons of the world, right? Where it's more B two B, like, hey, here's this game publisher, here's this thing. We want to sit somewhere in the middle where, you know, it's kind of like what we're what we're talking about, but in gaming, there's there's so many things, you know, there's, there's, prof there's professional esport athlete. There's, there's mental health is a big issue in gaming right now with what's yes. happening in the space. Right. So it's almost like if you, it's about creating content that's there for entertainment purposes and not for the com competition for, you know, for a business engagement. And I remember you had an event recently, uh, you know, uh, I, I just talk a bit through about it because it was all about the awareness part really, right? Um, yep. educating. Yep. 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 We did an event in July. We did it on Twitch. Um, and you know, we had YBN Demir. Um, so one of our other investors, uh, within by they joined recently is, as Warner, Warner music group, mm -hmm. right? They were my partners with the UMA venture and obviously for them gaming is a big part of the under they understand like music is one of the paths right and gaming yeah. is the next one so they are the same things like how do we figure this out right where, where do we bring it together so um you know we were able to bring some some music talent some professional athletes from the from the la rams um guys from face clan mm -hmm. uh, you know game developers from riot head of the usc gaming program so we had you know, we had scholars, we had athletes, we had influencers, we had, you know, at, you know, we we, we had esports athletes, with everybody, but with one common theme, gaming, and one common challenge, like one common topic that we wanted to share was mental health in gaming. Right. There were a couple, there were a couple, couple uh, tragic suicides leading up to that in the space right. that sort of made it a lot more, uh, you know, important. Yes. Mm -hmm at that moment and uh, the, that was the, that was the idea right not to showcase necessarily a competition or a certain title but to i mean we still had ybn demir play uh against against jalen and cam Akers. they play they played madden you know played football but it's more for fun so, so you're basically building a twitch with a conscience is it uh, no, not a Twitch for the constants. We're, we're building a Twitch where massive, where where number of people can 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 create and interact. So basically, it's not where well, here's you know here's a bunch of talking heads, but more of like how do you take that TwitchCon experience and bring it, take it digital, and make it brand friendly. So we're trying to make a virtual destination, and to 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 sort of showcase the actual platform, we want to start with our own events, right? Uh, 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 Ideally, we want then other people to create on the platform as, as well. But 
in the beginning, what we want to do is we want to create our own events, okay. and okay. Uh, and we want to bring talent that's not tied to a certain geography, right? Mm. As well as the viewers, because I mean, back in the day, if you wanted to go to TwitchCon, right, you have to buy a ticket, you have to get to LA, uh, right, you have to stay at a hotel, then you have to get there, and there's eighty thousand people, there's everything's like far away. How do you recreate that? And then how do you actually do things where you can't do when you're live? And we were planning this even before COVID, right? We were already thinking about this. And then COVID became a catalyst where we had to basically stop all of our live events that we were planning in the space. Like we had an event planned at at the shrine in LA, one in Dallas. And then, uh, and we just decided, well, look, if, if this is where the world's going, like, why don't we create one massive, uh, convention center (laughs) in a digital space? Got it. Yeah. Absolutely, I love this. Now, yeah, and 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 that that's awesome. And obviously, we have a fellow YPO here uh, with Amber, who is in this sort of you know what she called digital world as well. So this is sort of I'm I'm assuming you're you're you know I'm sure you guys are uh, talking to each other. Uh, And uh, now you also have an interesting one where uh, again it connects with a with a fellow. Ho, uh, guest recently here was was Greg of uh, Game One. Um, you guys announced a partnership recently. Uh, talk a bit about it. What what is it? What you guys are planning together? You know, and and how Game One and and uh, and uh, why sport, esports here now coming together? Uh, it's 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 another you know idea. It's another challenge that we're trying to tackle. Basically, with Game One, you have a combination of people that are extremely creative on you know on the content side whether it's nice. hollywood you know basil basically is one of the people behind sicario behind john wick Correct. but at the same Correct. time they're really with game one they're basically creating this taking the same sort of storytelling and, and 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 bringing it to the world of sports that's right, that's right. and uh you know with some of the top talent uh and 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 the, the natural thinking is well if people are really ready to consume sports this way wouldn't esports be sort of next logical step right but they don't understand the esports world that this is where we come in so this partnership is basically uh is a foray into trying to bring you know gaming content esports content to a different production level and to a different distribution level really to take it not necessarily to the twitches and the youtube gamings of the world but take it to you know foxes and the and the disney's and the yeah, you know, and then NBCs where it would be, be like cater to the more mainstream audiences yeah. and, and cater more in a form in a way where they would actually, you know, understand it and in comparison to what happened in real sports. Love it. Yeah, and I had a great conversation with Greg and the vision of what they do. And I love um, and I, you know, and I could see how. Uh, what they're building there, and and I can see how you guys are coming together. And as I said, you bring your esports experience or your e gaming experience in here now. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing the the. Is there a particular pilot already, or, or one project out where you can talk a bit about it, or it's still all uh, behind closed doors? Actually, we do want to do. We're we're about to go to um, you know take our concept public. We're going to speak to some brands because the the goal is to get the big brands behind this and right. the big distributors. Right. The goal is not well. Let's spend. Let's let's raise a bunch of money and then just you know show it on our own platform or something. And, and, you know, and, here's and, like good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you fund the, it first. To, the key is to take a big brand that normally hasn't spent big gaming and uh, and get them behind this, and then get a major distributor, 
right? Yeah, and and a, a major, you know, a, 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 during like a, a major hour, right? In primetime television or whatnot. Um, and uh, the, our concept that we're going to basically out with in the next few days, actually talk to Greg about it today, is um, we want to do a first ever truly international competition in esports. And we want to start with Russia versus US. Oh, wow. Amazing, amazing event. Uh, the plan was to start earlier than COVID got in the way where nobody could fly anywhere. We even thought about doing it somewhere on an island, but it was still difficult figuring out how people would get there. But I think now, you know, air, air, air travel is opening up even with new lockdowns maybe looming in the, in the, in the foreground or still, um, it, it becomes more possible. But this, is, this isn't this is gonna be not so much about the actual game, this is gonna be about the culture of, you know, uh, the, the Fisher versus Spassky, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and and Rocky, right? Yes. And then yes. again, it's just like with everything we're trying to do. We're hitting it from the cultural side. The games, the games are going to be secondary. It's the stories that we want to make. It. I love that. Oh yeah, and and uh, you know there are plenty of good Russia versus America stories, and and I have no doubt you can build one around this uh, the theme you guys are working on as well. I love this. That's awesome, and I also like the idea of you going in and and you know again not just blindly funding it. Uh, that's what we've actually done. Most of my events I've ever done here in Asia. Um, you know, in the world of sports, I always had, you know, a, a sponsor putting the money up. Uh, we weren't just starting businesses so or, or starting events for the sake of having an event. You know, it started when, when you know there's someone who wants to buy it, right? And I think that's the philosophy yeah. here as well, right? Yeah. And we did that with eSports, right? We would spend millions on mm -hmm. beautiful things and, and everybody would love it. But then, you know, once you look at the revenue, the, the problem was, well, how do you, how do you bridge yeah, that yeah. gap? Correct, correct, correct. So, yeah, that's awesome. Now, to sort of start closing in a bit here, we've always been talking for about an hour, um, which was fascinating just to uh, go through your history here and these incredible things you've done. And as you sort of said, this is almost like a world first uh, sharing here, uh, since you're much more of a private man. Um, there's one last one here we need to just touch on real quick, and that is Stinger. Uh, which I think it brought you back a bit into into the music world, right? Uh, um, but again, linked to esports. So uh, just uh, you know, it's an obvious uh, now after you know what we just talked about, how you get to this. Uh, but but share a little bit about it. Absolutely, this is the latest venture, and uh, you know we're incubating it with within within Buy and, and some other partners as well. But the idea is very simple, right? Um, mm. I've, you know, I've I've had my journey in gaming and esports. I've had my journey in music. And if you look at it, it's actually two different, two worlds that are so similar in terms of the audience consumption and yet so far apart, right? Right now, if you basically any game you play, if you want to hear your soundtrack, your, your, your playlist, you have to mute the in-game music, which most people do, and then run your playlist on Spotify, right? Mm. And then if you're a AAA title, you do want to get some music into the game. It's, it's a long process. If you gotta, it's called sync licensing. It's this whole idea. So again, like I looked before, so I look at every game and every game engine going forward like a platform, right? So right. I look at Spotify, Apple, or, or Deezer, or Tidal. So, but instead of creating this next platform, I feel like the platform's already there. The users are already there. And everything in the, for the Gen Z space, and I mean, I think it's an official statistic from Fortnite or Reddit Adventure Beat that 85% of Fortnite players, you know, use some sort of monetization. So they buy something, mm. right? Because they want a personalized experience. 
So you can personalize anything, but you can't personalize music. Mm. So the idea with Stinger is to basically build this platform that this DLC that 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 caters to the entire gaming world, right? Mm. Where because if you're building a new game and you want to personalize the music experience, it's impossible right now because going out and getting the licenses is a nightmare. And the same thing if you're if you're a music label and you want to popularize your music through games. You can't go out there and strike a deal with everybody. So our goal is to act as the gateway for both the music industry, gaming industry, to bring them together. Where we would, you know, and I'm and I'm obviously working with different game publishers, but most importantly, the idea is to get the music industry behind this, yeah. right? It's sort it's very similar to what I did with VK Music when you had the two different worlds and bring it together. But there we talked about one platform really. Here the goal is to bring music. And and exa- not and again the goal here is not not to bring the playlists right you can always get that through Spotify or whatever but yeah. it's personalized to use sort of what I was doing the ringtones and ringback right. tones right? right very similar and uh, yeah. I think every next game if you can give your user the possibility of play your favorite song like when yeah. you do a shot and Counter Strike and goodbye 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 by Post Malone plays <laughs> and everybody here I think it's you know, but um, it's so that's brilliant. that's it's brilliant. That's I love the nature, it. That's the nature of Stinger, and and uh, we're gonna get. You know, I'm hoping to get the music industry behind this um, going forward and uh, taking off from there. Amazing, amazing, and and it's an interesting, and it's really sort of it's just uh, when I currently talk to brands about it, right? I'm in every day and talking, having conversations with with sponsors as well. Um, the way I'm trying to get them to understand the traditional world where they've sort of come from, right, to the world of e-gaming, right, is, or e-sports, um, is, is in a, I try to visualize them in the simplest way. I say, look, um, real example, uh, one of the groups we work with here in Asia is called Garena, which you might have heard of, right? It's a very large uh, platform here sure. in this region. Um, they have a game called Free Fire. Free Fire has 600 million downloads globally and 100 million people playing every day. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm saying right. Rather than thinking of them, okay, it's 100 million people playing. It's like think of it in a, in a TV station, right? If you've had 100 million viewers every day on your platform, watching, switching on your TV, and you're watching CNN or whatever channel it is in the world, that's the audience we're talking about. But they're not sitting there just watching, you know, uh, passively. They're physically engaged. This is oh, yeah. the, this is what we're talking about, basically, right? So there's 100 million people physically engaging. So you, Mr. Sponsor, if we can figure out a smart way how you engage with them, you know, without just having logos popping up and, and being annoying, but if there is a way to bring you in it, how powerful could this be, right? And that, and I think that actually gets where people are going, wow, okay, they they don't necessarily not everyone thinks of it in that way, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and um, you know and. The challenge is bringing the two worlds together, right? Because at the same time, not every publisher wants to, you know, pollute their their gameplay with nonstop ads, right? Because at the end of the day, gameplay is the most important thing. And anytime you want to add any kind of tech, because if you talk to any game developer, their like game developer hour, working hour is at the weight of gold. Like whatever, like any any developer hour spent outside of whatever they need to do is is not welcome. So that's why for a game developer to understand like, well, like what's, what, what is it, what's in it for us, right? To build this more friendly for, and that has been the challenge for a lot of the esports is because whatever, whatever the people are trying to create from the esports product size, the actual game developers are not very (laughs) eager to go implement that on the tech end. 
Right. Yeah, and exactly. And, and I'm not even ta- I'm definitely not talking about your traditional ad popping up. I mean, that would just annoy the hell out of everyone. <laughs> right. It is really, as usual, you have to be a smart product integration the same way you do it on TV. Right. Um, you know, the, the whatever the product kind of appears in the game. And, you know, uh, Garena did a very cool one here with KFC recently where they turned uh, Colonel Sanders into a superhero. You know, mm-hmm. so it's not your old guy there, which you normally see. It's, you know, buff and, and good looking guy. Uh, any wax, you know, people around with drumsticks, and and it just when you watch it, it's hilarious. It's great, and they ran a huge promotion with them here in in Asia, uh, across several countries. You know, and people loved it, and of course, it taps into you know the the audience of KFC. You know, the the, the gamers had fun with it, and you know, so it, these things are to me make so much sense, right? And and I, there's so much more you can do with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why, that's how you got to approach. I mean, the the next world, the next the next platforms. Is, are not going to be the pure social media. It's going to be very much virtual. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. I think, what, yeah, the in-game experience is so much. You know, you have, you know, and you're in the music space, right? I mean, you saw already what uh, Fortnite did, right? Uh, you know, and I'm sure you, you're looking yeah. at that going, well, I can do that, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I know the guys that are, you know, that there's a company called Wave out of Los Angeles that are, you know, they just did this big uh, weekend concert on TikTok. Yeah. So that's the stage, right? Absolutely. That's the next stage. That's the next stage. And, uh, you know, so it's going to be quite an adventure how people, you know, but, you know, it's, it's, you have to understand that at the end of the day, the game is more important than everything else around it, the gaming experience. Mm. So yeah. uh, that's how it's going to be challenging. Well, like we could go on forever here, and, and there's normally some other stuff I go into, but uh, I think we've we kind of exhausted uh, ourselves here with with this amazing yeah. talk. Um, you know, thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it, and uh, you're sitting in a great spot there. You've done amazing stuff already, and that's clearly why you're getting you know the attention you're getting here. So. Um, awesome talking to you, buddy. Uh, we'll talk some more on YPO soon here, uh, the other event which we're planning here. And uh, enjoy your time there and uh, have a good evening there in Lake Tahoe. Yes, thank you, Marcus, and, and thank you for having me today. No, it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Speak soon. Speak soon. Speak soon, my friend. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.